1: wanted I've been waiting 23 years to say that. Welcome to the FBI's most unwanted. This is another extra file bonus episode. So Justin's not here today because I have somebody to talk with who knows way more about the show than he does. My guest today is a New York Times best-selling author. He has written 11 published novels. His 12th one is coming next year. And I'm very excited he's here because I could talk to him about all his uh, other novels. But what we are gonna talk about is his short story in The X-Files Volume 1, Trust No One, as well as his history, just loving the series. So I'm very happy to welcome to the show, Peter Kleins. Hi, Hi, Peter. I'm so glad you're here. And um, I actually, I've been saving this just so it's on the recording. I just devoured Paradox Bound this weekend. I hadn't read that one yet. And um, I carry mail as my day job. So I listen to a lot of audiobooks and I listened to the audiobook of Paradox Bound this weekend. And I was. Uh, Friday and Saturday, and I finished it up. And I really enjoyed that one. But that wasn't surprising (laughs) to me, because I've enjoyed everything from you I've read. But uh, so if anybody is looking for a place to start reading Peter, if they haven't yet, Paradox Bound, or 14. 14 is my other favorite book by you. I love the whole Threshold series. So I'm very glad you're here to talk to me today. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I actually it's interesting, though, because I actually see a little bit of the influence of the X-Files in in what you have written. Um, Right in 14, it's not 14 goes way further than the X-Files ever does into some uh, Lovecraftian influences and stuff like that. But almost as soon as I read 14, I was like, oh, there's a little X-Files in here. there's like this government agency that's there's like cults. There's just
0: general weirdness. I think at this point, the X-Files was such for, there's like a whole generation of us that the X-Files was such a, a seminal work and sort of bringing a lot of this stuff together.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I think it's, it it was groundbreaking in a bunch of ways. Um, and I think because of it now, we can't help but see it on everything.
1: That's, like, obviously, yeah. yes, I'm, I'm not denying
0: I was absolutely influenced you know, as a writer, mm-hmm. but I think also it, we have to see everything through our sort of post X-Files lens now.
1: Yeah. And, <laughs> so did you, of course, it debuted way back in, in the early nineties. Did you, were you aware of it coming up? Did you watch the very first episode or did you get absorbed in um, after it kind of became a cultural phenomenon?
0: Um, okay. Horrible truth. I, I was obviously a huge sci-fi fan um and i knew of the x files that i had seen commercials they're mm-hmm. doing this show and it was going to be some sort of sci-fi whatever thing um i was working at the time i actually when the x files came out i was working in the film industry mm-hmm. as a prop assistant and prop master so i didn't mm-hmm. always have a ton of free time and i managed to catch sort of random episodes initially yep by horrible coincidence, the first two episodes I saw were Space. Oh. The, the one about the the astronaut uh-huh. who's possessed by that has a,
1: That has a reputation on this show. We measure yep. all the worst episodes of the <laughs> X-Files next to, we go, it was not the best, but was it as bad as Space?
0: <laughs> right. And then the second one I saw was Ghost in the Machine.
1: Oh, also almost as bad as but that is an what, unfortunate double. <laughs> so so what happened was at this
0: point, I basically said, like, well, this show's got no future, it's going nowhere. And I like <laughs> it's obvious crap. So I I did not watch another thing. And people would come to me and say, Oh, have you seen that show The X Files? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm not watching spending any more of my life watching that. Uh and then what happened was probably well, it must have been second season, so like mid ninety-five or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it was a Tuesday night, and I remember that, and it was essentially one of those situations I think where Fox had nothing else to air, so they just shoved an episode of the X Files on. Sure. And I and I was doing laundry or something, and I just put it on to have it on in my little apartment. And it was colony. Oh, that's the episode point. that was on. And that was it. And so I'm like, oh my God, wow, this show is so smart. It's so cool. That's really, they're doing cool things with, you know, the medium of television. They're doing cool things with the story. They're bringing this and they're bringing this in. And it got to the, spoilers, it got to the end of the episode where Scully and Mulder have been talking on the phone back and forth because they're not even in the same room at any point,
1: mm-hmm. depending in
0: the whole episode. No, I don't believe so. And yeah, and we get to the end and she's in her hotel room and Mulder finally gets up and they're finally together and they're talking, blah, blah. and then her phone rings and it's Mulder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and because with this has also introduced the sheep <laughs> changing bounty hunter to us, mm-hmm. and that was such a mind blowing ending. The way they did it, what they'd done, and I was freaking out. And then the little announcer voice comes on and stay tuned for part two. I'm like, and they just went right into Endgame. Oh no, nice. or not Endgame. Uh, yeah, yeah, it yeah, was. Endgame. Yeah, it's Endgame. Was yeah. the next one. Yeah, um, the second half it with the Russian sub and all that, and. I was hooked from that point on, <laughs> that was, that was it for me. And I lucked out and then found out that a bunch of people I worked with were also really into it. And we started having like Friday night viewing parties that we don't mm-hmm. get together and, yell at each other if anyone tried to talk during the show and all that sort of stuff that's Um,
1: the yeah that's the part i i missed out on because i just because of my age i was too young for the x files at the time but i always hear stories about that where people are like it was that you know almost that must-see tv thing where friends would get together and have those viewing parties and kind of like people did uh several years pardon me several years back when uh, Game of Thrones was really big Before everybody started to exactly. In the final yep. season <laughs> you know? um, So Yeah, that's fun
0: And, it, and it, was, it was doubly big for us Because a lot of us Worked in the film industry mm-hmm. uh, My friends Greg and Alice would generally like host parties At their house and we would You know, everybody would be over there and At least half of us would work in the film industry And The X-Files was also just doing a lot of Stuff that you you didn't see on television Mm -hmm. that they had figured out ways around this and they had they did things that actually and this sounds a little hyperbolic i know but they changed how television was shot Mm. in a lot of ways um you know up until then if you shot stuff at night or in the dark it basically meant you're out there with like 40 klieg lights you know lighting up the forest for two miles or you're in a brightly lit room with a very thin filter over the lens and saying, Oh, look, it's dark, you know,
1: uh-huh. not, um, uh, day for night a- shoots. and
0: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The A5 BX files did darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a huge thing that the, they used it and they took advantage of it um, to not see things. They also, um, most people probably don't realize this, but I think one of the biggest changes the X-Files made and it, it had to do with when they made it and the type of writing they were doing up until that point, if you had two people on the phone in a movie, on a, on a TV show, whatever, mm-hmm. it meant you've got two static shots of actors. It meant it, it meant you're sitting at your desk and I'm standing at a pay phone and that's mm-hmm. it. Yep. You know, that is all that's happening if you know he's in the kitchen she's in the bedroom whatever but people didn't move on phones mm-hmm. and the x-files to the best of my knowledge was the first show that took advantage of the fact that these are mobile phones that Good point. I point you and i can talk from anywhere i can be out in a field talking to you on a phone you can be in a car i can be halfway across the country and now suddenly there's like this freedom of being able to place characters anywhere, doing anything mm-hmm. and keeping them in communication. Even when, you know, Scully's back at the office digging through files and Mulder's, you know, in the basement of a building in Arkansas. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I never actually even, cause we just take it for granted now that characters are exactly. on their cell phones almost all the time. and, and, <clears throat> It's that trope you see going around where young kids will see see something on television where someone is in trouble and they'll go, "How come they don't just text somebody or use their cell phone?" It's like, well, because you're, you're watching an old movie or an old TV show, they didn't have them. So right. yeah, and I, you're right. There are actually, there was an episode, uh, War of the Corophages, actually bases yeah. almost uh, three quarters of the episode on the fact that Scully is just hanging out at home doing her. Her, you know, giving Queequeg a bath and stuff like that, and Mulder's yeah. off doing an investigation, and he's just and they're, and they're
0: calling each other back and forth and back. Mm-hmm. I love that episode. I was yeah, I was going to really... mention that later possibly, yeah. but I mean, <coughs> uh, it's it's one of those things that changed so much that now we don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. That you know, people get phone calls on the side of the road now. You yeah. know, or I'm I'm calling you from the grocery store, whatever whereas before this there's so much storytelling you know if people wanted to talk you had to run down the street to the gas station you had to yep. you know and i think this the x-files happened at a perfect time where one i mean the technology had come into existence mm-hmm. you know obviously there no one was doing cell phone stories before there were cell phones um but they were really the first people to honestly realize what you could do with this i'm i i couldn't say anything off the top of my head but i'm willing to bet you could probably find some tvs and movies from like 92 93 94 mm-hmm. where people have cell phones but the movie is still treating it like a regular phone yep
1: i, I know what that, you mean that like
0: that they're, uh... they're not carrying them around with them like i like you leave your cell phone in the car.
1: Like they're sitting you know? in the car with them talking on you know exactly. like someone like a like a big shot in a limousine. I I can right. I can't bring any titles to my mind, but I can see that image in my
0: head. Exactly. Somebody sitting
1: in the back of the limousine
0: or, on their phone. Right. Or they're or they're, you know, sitting at a desk talking on their cell phone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that that we had the technology, but but storytellers, filmmakers hadn't quite realized the how much freedom this actually gave them now to let people walk around and i think and i think that was one of the things that really made the x-files stand out that it instantly became this very dynamic show that people were always on the move doing stuff
1: Mm -hmm. and i think you talking about that kind of just clicked something in my brain about why it stays a show that people like to watch even now all these years later because It's modern storytelling in that way. Sure, the the cell phones are way out of date, and the cars are way out of date, and the computers are way out of date, but they're (laughs) essentially doing the same thing now, uh, or in that show, as if somebody switched on and I'll just go for something super popular and like switched on CSI, where CSI essentially does the exact same thing. I mean, without the monsters or anything, but it's the same type of storytelling
0: exactly that they're wandering around i'm off at a crime scene talking to you on my phone i've Mm -hmm. gone here i've gone that um yeah it was one of those moments that they did and they changed how everyone was going to do stuff from there on um the closest thing i can think of recently that where you saw a big change like that well actually i can do two. i can tell you one before that and i can tell you one after that okay um before that this is a weird one i happen to know if you were going to have two characters talking They were on screen. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I actually think, weird as it is, uh, Glenn Larson, the guy who did Battlestar Galactica and Knight Rider and a lot of that stuff, he came up with this idea of, well, what if we just showed the car driving down the freeway or driving across the country and we heard their voices over it? Interesting. And that sounds like such an obvious thing, you know, the the conversation going on while we see the plane traveling or see the car driving. But it wasn't. Like somebody, somebody did that shot first. And I, I am almost positive it was Clint Larson and everybody adopted it. And that is now such a, a natural part of film language that mm-hmm. we all accept it. Um, more recently, uh, the TV show Sherlock from the BBC. Oh, I love that show. That, but they came up with this whole idea of what if we just saw the text messages on the screen? Mm. why are we cutting to somebody's a tight on someone's phone yep to see their text messages instead of just seeing the text messages sort of hanging in the air right um and i think if i remember right hearing that actually came from an editing accident really was how they came yeah if i if i remember correctly the story was they had planned to do cuts to the cell phone Mm -hmm. and see like you know people reading their cell phone texts um but they hadn't actually shot it yet. So when the editor was tying things together, he literally just put a note to himself of the text that was supposed to appear. So when they were watching the rough cut of this, they hadn't done any of the insert shots or anything yet. And all of a sudden, Benedict Cumberbatch looks down at his phone and like right on the screen next to him, all this text comes up. And uh, Stephen Moffat and... Uh, Oh, I just blinked on the other writer producer's name oh and um also...
1: oh boy I did too that's awful yeah because he also Cause...
0: accident and because he's he's mycroft on the show well is but it, anyway... that's
1: not um that's not Stephen moff shoot that's terrible no, I did the exact Stephen... same thing I just I just yeah. did the exact same thing it's gonna drive me crazy I'm gonna look it up <laughs> okay you keep it anyway yeah
0: they they saw this editing accident happen and they're like oh my god that's perfect that's Real. You know, okay. You don't need to look away from Benedict Cumberbatch to see the message. Yep. Mark Gaddis. And now and now people are do yes, thank you, Mark Gaddis. <laughs> um and now people do that on movies, on TV shows all the time. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And I never
1: but, huh. I never realized it was them that did that because I do love that show and I watched all of it from the
0: from the beginning and I never realized Because because it's one of those things that is like a lot of good storytelling, it's mm-hmm. so perfect and so organic. You don't like you look at me and think, oh, that's cool. That's clever. Mm. And then you just immediately accept it.
1: Talking about uh, storytelling and stuff like that. This was a question I was thinking of last night. Because one of the things is as we go through the show and and Justin discovers it for the first time that he and I talk back and forth about is this nature that the myth arc uh, with hindsight. Seems to get out of control a little bit because they had such long seasons and they didn't necessarily know from season to season if they were going to be renewed, which is, you know, nowadays we do take for, we, we get limited series. We get creators that, that go to Netflix or whatever and say, I have this story it's this many seasons and then it's done and that's all you get whereas the x-files has Mulder lost his sister there's this big government conspiracy we get 24 episodes a season and we might have to do 24 next season so we can't really give any answers at the time and 24
0: the season after that and after that and, and after, after that,
1: that. <laughs> did it like i just said it's a it's a hindsight thing now but at the time, did it ever feel like that was the storytelling, or did it, or did you ever have a point in time where you went, "We're going to get the answers"?
0: Or I, it's tough because I think um, you, you bring up a great point that it is even a, a more recent thing that creators are finally getting to tell the story they want. And mm-hmm. I, I know people would probably object to this, but we're finally getting a little bit away from the. Like someone is recognizing in a, in this our wonderful capitalist system that it might actually be better to have less of it, yeah, than to have more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I say this as I uh, I was and am a huge fan of Lost, the yep. TV show, and I know that was one of the problems Lost had that the creators only wanted to do a three season show. Mm-hmm. show, and then it was a four season show, and then it was a five season show, was a 6 season like, but we mm-hmm. we don't have this much story. We've yeah. <laughs> And I think that's that's a little bit of what you're talking about, that on the X-Files, you know, we, we did have to sort of keep building and expanding and mm-hmm. going on. And I think it's a it's a very tough balance because I think if you, you introduce a mystery for anything, I think in general storytelling. Sure. If you introduce a mystery, people are going to expect an answer. Mm-hmm. And the question is just how long... Can we go before getting that answer before we start to get frustrated and before we recognize that I'm just not giving you the answer? You know, that like we have an answer, yeah, we probably should have found it by now, but Mulder's phone battery is going to die just as the guy is finally going to answer everything. Oh, Mm -hmm. damn, my phone battery. Now it'll be another two years before (laughs) I can call him back for, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I loved it, but I mean, again, I think I lucked out that I came to it just at that, that sort of pitch perfect moment Mm -hmm. of moment of two year moment, (laughs) of like season two, season three, where they were popular enough to know, all right, we're going to get more time out of this. So they could plan a little better. Right. Of what they wanted to do. But. At the same time, we were just all so invested in it. And we hadn't, we as, as consumers of stories had not yet sort of become aware of or or conscious, I guess would be a better way to put it, mm-hmm. of the fact that of that balance of the network is going to want as many seasons as possible. Sure. But they have to hold off on the store. They can't give us the answer because the minute they give us the, these answers certain parts of the story are over Mm -hmm. you know yeah so so yeah I agree
1: it's interesting because I know that like by the time they got to the movie the first movie between season five and season six (laughs) that movie was supposed to be here's the wrap-up of this whole Mulder's sister kind of story arc and then they get to season six And season six is actually not terrible. And it seems like here's a fresh, <laughs> no, it's not. Cause season seven, eight, and nine. No, I know. But
0: what a ring, what a ringing endorsement. Season six is not terrible.
1: <laughs> right. It's got some really good episodes in it. Like I think season six is the uh, X-Files cops crossover episode, uh, X-Cops, oh. which is yep. really outstandingly good. Um, considering it's got the dumbest premise in the world. Let's cross cops and X-Files. <laughs> um, but it, it it's like, okay, we we gave these answers, where do we go from here? And they had this season six where maybe they could start going somewhere else and then lost that thread, I think, of, of starting a new mystery, perhaps, or something like that. Because like you were saying with mystery storytelling, once you have the answers, you can't then go backwards and go okay now we let's explore the same mystery we just got done exploring and add more to that instead
0: and you also have the problem of the we all signed on for this we signed Mm -hmm. on to find out what happened to Mulder's sister we signed Mm -hmm. on to find about the the syndicate conspiracy yeah you know so then it puts you in this weird place of, okay, if we, if we resolve all of that, is everyone going to stick around for something new, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or if we try and top it and do, you know, yes, there was the syndicate, but they were being controlled by, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, and then we're all like,
1: what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that makes um, sense. Yeah. So, so it is that tricky thing of like, do we do we try and convince people there was another conspiracy going on that Mm -hmm. just for reasons we never talked about until now or right you know i i I get that and i actually i sympathize a lot with with Mm -hmm. tv writers who have to struggle with you know like you were saying we have no idea if we're going to get picked up you know Mm -hmm. past our our first 13 now our first 22 next season so okay, how much of our story do we plan to tell? Mm. If if we're trying to do this sci-fi mystery, this, you know, horror, whatever, so do we just assume we're getting the one season and that's it, and then next season we'll try and figure something else out? Or, you know, yep. do we stretch it out and risk leaving tons of things hanging forever?
1: Mm-hmm. And I think... I, I, um... I think that's why, at least for me, and I'd be interested to get your view on this, in, in, in hindsight, in, in re-watching it again, I tend to revisit the more Monster of the Week episodes. Not that I feel like the show could have existed forever just being Monster of the Week, but they hold up a little better just because they, they stand by themselves versus the um knowing now what i know after watching the show two three times (laughs) that that the conspiracy angle of it kind of fizzles out somewhere towards the end yeah okay
0: it definitely does i i am i have always been a big fan of the monster of the week episodes um especially i I think I'm a little bit in the minority here. I've never been clear how a lot of other fans feel. Mm. I love the goofy episodes. Oh, I'm lo- so
1: glad to hear that because I do too. I, I,
0: <laughs> I love the. I I really really love it when they'll sort of take that step back and on one level or another just acknowledge like this is all kind of ridiculous, isn't uh-huh. it? Yeah. Um, um. You know, I I love like we're seeing uh, War of the Corphages pages yep. is fantastic. Jose Chung's from Outer Space. Yes. Um, hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, the one with uh, uh, The other one I was thinking about just last night was, what is it, El Muto? I don't think that's the title of the episode, but it's the one that ends in like a black and white dance scene with a two-faced monster. Um, yes. I, I know can't the think one of the mean, title but... off the top of my oh. head, but I know the monster's with name the... is Muto or something like, maybe that's yes, even the name but... of the episode is Muto. I can't remember off the top of my yeah. head, but.
0: There's that, there's Hollywood AD when they're all in the <laughs> bath. Yep. Everybody's taking a bubble bath together. Yep. Um, in, in the newer ones when they sort of had the the relaunch, whatever they, mm-hmm. the the wear monster
1: yes. Oh, that episode is with so I think that one was pretty well universally received, too. I don't think it's just you yes, but, I think I- the wear monster thing, everybody went. This is one of the most X-Files things this relaunch has done is this episode
0: yes. right here. <laughs> and and it was so beautiful in so many levels in that it there's there's sort of meta stuff that works in it. There's if you're a diehard fan, there's stuff, if you've never mm-hmm. seen another episode of anything and you yeah. watch this, it's great. Um and then they did the uh uh oh the weird uh is it the, the Lost where- Art of Forehead Sweat. The with the Mandela effect. Mm-hmm. It was one of the oh, very, yeah, yeah. very last episodes where we, we find out that, oh, no, there's actually been another member of mm-hmm. uh, the X-Files team all along, but we all forgot him.
1: That one is is really fantastic so, as well. Yeah. Um, and there's another one. The episode itself isn't that great, but it's it's one... Uh, it's one of the ones. Mulder has like a drug trip and goes like dancing. And it's it's in the relaunch. Oh, it's yes. Mm, the episode as a whole isn't v- really good, but that whole. But I remember that bit. Mm-hmm, that whole bit of Mulder, like for whatever reason, he ends up on drugs and.
0: Yeah, you know. I think that I think all those standalones, the monster of the week. I think I think one of the reasons we like them, like we, you, and me, but I think people um a when they have ones like that they can they ha- sort of have the freedom to be goofy sure but i think also if you have a show where everything ties back to the big mystery especially in a in a world where this amount of supernatural sci-fi everything exists mm-hmm. it gets kind of exhausting yeah and there is something kind of fun when after you know weeks of government conspiracy to just to just find out there's a fluke man living in your toilet or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> you know um or there's this guy with weird psychic powers who uses them to hit on girls or just all, all that sort of stuff i think that or the 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 uh i just blank oh. on the title again the carnival of freaks that are actual freaks or the oh um
1: the, humbug the trailer park
0: humbug yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. The trailer park full of vampires. You know, oh, yeah. all these all these weird little things that like it's just bizarre, but it's kind of this fascinating side thing. And I think we like I think it's great for a TV show to sort of have the the space or any storytelling really to have the space to tell those little side things. Mm-hmm. You know, they that, that in the same way if you pick up a Stephen King book, if you pick up one of my books would of Jonathan Mabry's books, anybody, you know, you will have these little side moments sometimes that are fun and entertaining and they don't really tie it to anything. Well, They're just there because it's fun to be there.
1: Yeah. And that actually kind of brings me to your story in the, in the collection here. And I'm, I gotta make sure I get the, <laughs> it's the the beast of little Hill. Is that the name? That was the name of it. Right. I, I want to make sure i got it exactly yes right. it is yeah the beast of the little beast hill of little. i wanted to make sure for some reason yep. in my head i was but i was i got it confused with the beast of bray road in my head i was like it's there's no road <sighs> in there it's not little hill Road. oh yeah the beast of little hill and the the whole collection is basically just just side stories so <clears throat> when when um uh, i'm because jonathan was the editor i'm assuming he approached you about about doing a story in it did you in your head ever think of what sort of X-Files story you would write or was it this whole fresh thing of I get to write an X-Files story now I got to sit down and think about what it actually
0: is yes that was for me that's exactly (laughs) what it was okay Uh, Jonathan and I have known each other for a while and one thing a lot of my my friends know especially my writer friends is I suck at writing on demand Mm. uh if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, we're doing an anthology. Do you have anything, you know, just sci-fi, do you have anything you could pitch in? I'd be like, sure. I can come up with something. If you come to me and we're doing our, uh vampire lesbian biker gang anthology, mm-hmm. do you have a vampire lesbian biker gang story? I'd be like, mm. <laughs> uh, I nope. you know, and that goes for anything. I've, I've been approached for other, you know intellectual property work and stuff and i just freeze up and I'm like i don't know maybe uh, i got invited to a nightbreed anthology and i think the day before it was due i came up with a story mm-hmm. and wrote to the editor really fast like hey do you still need anything um so jonathan and i had known each other and he got in touch with me he's like hey were you an x-files fan i was like yeah of course and then he's like doing some anthologies for rdw do you want in and so i was immediately like yes I want in, I want to be part of this. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, I have no idea what to do. Um, Okay. Yeah. And I, yeah, the only thing I knew was I wanted it to be kind of like we're just saying a lighter story. I was just about to say, it
1: does tie into what you were just saying about the lighter stories, because um, I don't want to give it all away. I want people to get the, get the story and read it for themselves, but it does involve like essentially roadside attraction. um, Yes. Uh, tourist, uh, tourist trap kind of uh, hillbillies isn't the right word that's not a polite <laughs> word but 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 country folks like showing off
0: monsters in their barn kind of thing yeah. <laughs> and, um so it was uh that was it I knew I wanted to do something lighthearted and goofy and I was I was playing around with a couple ideas and I and I I liked that idea of encountering like we're saying numerous people mm-hmm. again and again and just that whole idea of Mulder being super excited and then Scully debunking it and Mulder being yeah, super yeah, excited yeah. and Scully debunking it just yeah. again and again um, and what ended up happening was I'd been poking at it for about a week and I had here's a horrible dark author confession for you <laughs> years back uh, I had worked on a show a tv show for sci-fi called the chronicle and mm-hmm. Um, And it was it was a show about a some people might remember it uh, a newspaper tabloid like a tabloid magazine right that everything the report is actually true oh interesting and so the yeah it was on uh we were I think it started airing in like late two thousand one hmm.
1: it's an interesting might uh, pre- have actually been like mid two thousand
0: yeah. yeah. Um it was a fun show. Uh Reno Wilson was on it, John Polito was on it, Curtis Armstrong, uh Chad Willett. The it's a neat fun premise. The the show had some issues, but uh at one point my writing career had not taken off. I was the assistant prop master on the show. Um I wrote an episode, a bottle episode for the show mm. with uh if anyone you've probably brought this up on this but a bottle episode is basically when you try and make an episode that uses no new sets needs very few new actors one
1: location yeah like um uh dead calm the one where they're on the boat and they're just on the boat the entire
0: episode right or or if you think of like star trek next generation uh this is actually where i first heard it when you have an episode that's entirely set on the ship Yes. And it's mm-hmm. all locate like rooms you've seen before, hallways yep. you've seen before, sets you've seen before. Yep. That's a bottle show. It's when we're, we're trying Cost to saving. do that one episode. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Um, so I knew, I I figured I would try, I had been trying to write screenplays for a while. Um, I wrote a script for the Chronicle with the idea of, could I break in with a bottle show because it would be cheaper. So right mm-hmm. off the bat, my script is more appealing. Um, and nothing ever really happened with that. Uh, but later on, when I was turning up for this X-files anthology, I looked back at that chronicle story and said, "You know, there's a bunch of elements from this mm-hmm. of having multiple frozen aliens, yep. or, or excuse me, multiple or different frozen aliens. Um, and so I, I basically lifted several elements out of my Chronicle script. Hey, yeah. And when they, and they came in and suddenly realized this all works perfectly now. That it, much more than it did with the Chronicle, which was a much more, the general tone of the Chronicle. Chronicle was much more sort of comical and irreverent. Yep. And it fit much better with the X-Files because even when the X-Files was doing comedy, there was always that touch of drama to it. You know, sure. We look yeah. at episodes that are that are very funny, like uh, uh, Clyde Clyde Buckner's repose. Clyde Buckman's final repose, yeah. Final repose, thank you. Um, and it's a very funny episode, but it's also kind of sad. It's really sad. Its it is, yeah. You know, and and there's there's episodes they do that are very funny that will suddenly have moments of like, okay, wait, suddenly this is actually very creepy, mm-hmm. like. You know we'll have that twist uh in think of in uh jose chung's from Outer space yep which is funny 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 we're all kind of giggling laughing we're, we're laughing at the sheriff going bleep this yes and all that and all of a sudden Mulder's driving down the road and finds that naked guy in the road who grabs mm-hmm. him. And he's like this is not happening this is not yeah, and we're all like yeah Oh wait a minute! This
1: is—it's <laughs> that thing that you always hear that comedy and horror are closely related because they're both the subversion of expectation.
0: Yes, so that's like I, I, I've not heard it put exactly that way, but that is it. Oh, okay,
1: true. but yes, and, and so that's why co- comedy and horror tend to work so well together in the way you were just talking about because you're you're laughing the whole episode because subverting your expectation. And then just when you're comfortable having the episode be light and humorous, bam, let's hit you with this like freaky naked guy covered in scars or burns or whatever in the middle of the road, you
0: know. So yeah. Um and that's what I wanted to do. I realized my my story about multiple frozen aliens would be could be very funny Mm -hmm. and yet still have a little bit of heartstring pulling. And hopefully one or two bits that are actually, oh crap, we've just realized what's actually going on here. This is kind of scary. Yeah. So,
1: and the, you mentioned something when you were talking about, um, you know, you were talking about how you wanted to have Mulder get excited about something and, and Scully debunk it and stuff like that. We bring that up a lot too, because there does come a point in the show where Scully not, not believing Mulder, Mulder is kind of by default right all the time because of the nature of the show and it does get a little bit much where you bump up against scully who has seen so much stuff still going nah i don't think that that's it and so it is always sad there's a few episodes in fact i think the next one we're going to review is quagmire uh where where there's all the, the attacks going on in the town and by the end of the Mulder thinks it's a lake monster and it turns out it's an alligator. And so he's technically wrong, but then right as they leave it, it ends where you see the lake monster coming out of the water. So he's also right, right, but you, you you still leave the episode with a sense of, Oh, this is one where Mulder wasn't right. (laughs) And that's
0: kind of always refreshing. That's, and that's always one of the odd ones to me where like, what are we actually saying at the end of this episode was, you know, Mm -hmm. Like, we've, what we're really saying is, we found an explanation that everybody likes, mm-hmm. but maybe Mulder, maybe it had actually been a monster all along. Yeah. Or are we seeing that it was an alligator, but the monster was also there? was also there. Or, it's
1: weird. Yeah. But it yeah, is one of those things but, that I, I do like that you, you do bring up where Scully is, to almost a humorous effect, where, where Scully in your story keeps coming up against Mulder's theories over and over again just that is always the nature of the show but it it, something about the way I read it in your story kind of seems like you were cognizant of the fact that a lot of the times it's ridiculous that she resists him so much I don't know if that's just my reading of it or if that was something that you intended or
0: it was intended I also like but I, I wanted it to be both ways because I also really like when is proposing something so outlandish mm-hmm. to justify something. And, and there are those moments as well in the series, which is part of the fun mm-hmm. where, you know, we'll, we'll find a rock in the middle of the road and Mulder will have a dozen explanations <laughs> of how this rock got there and what this rock could mean and what it symbolizes. Yeah. And Scully is basically just sitting there like, or it's a rock. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. And, <laughs> and and that was was part of what I wanted to have. I wanted to have that fun balance of hitting the point where, okay, things are like, I wanted to start the whole thing. Like we said, it, it's tourist traps and roadside's attraction. So the story very much begins with Mulder is being silly. Mm-hmm. As we're seeing like, oh, look, it's an alien frozen in a block of ice and yeah. Scully's open and like, no, it's a Halloween decoration. It's yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's made of plastic. It's yep. um, and you obviously believe her that it, it's all set up that that is what this is. And then as the story goes on and everything pivots, and now suddenly, Molder's the one being rational and calm, even though neither of them have really changed their their viewpoint. Right.
1: This. He yeah. And I think, like I said, I think that's why I enjoyed reading it so much is it's just and that's another thing we talk about on you you just mentioned it where Mulder finds the skimpiest piece of evidence and all of a sudden has (laughs) the most outlandish possible explanation and by the end he's right but at the beginning (laughs) at the beginning you're looking at him going you are a crazy person <laughs> like how exactly. did you get to this you know how did you how did you get to this conclusion from this very normal thing so i guess i'm okay i'm glad i was wondering about that well Peter, we have been going on for a little bit and I just want to uh, start to draw it to a close. You've been pretty generous with okay. your time. And um, I do want to know though, just uh, if you have any episodes that you uh, consider your favorites or the ones you think maybe are the standout or, like the best written or
0: the best directed or anything like that. Or it, It's so tough because there's so many and, and like we've been talking about, there's the stuff that like, you know, this is amazing as a standalone episode.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: like, um, like I was saying before, I think, uh, M- yeah, Mulder and Scully meet the Were Human. Uh, yeah, that one is, is really just, good. It is just amazing on, on, again, so many levels. At the same time, there are episodes where they do fantastic things, like from, from a, filmic point of view Mm -hmm. if you're watching and you think of like the technology they had when they were doing this the you know Mm uh there's an episode that i've actually talked about a lot that i love uh and you're probably gonna have to to help me remember this it's a i'm pretty sure it's a second maybe a third season episode but it's mr x is a key Mm -hmm. part in it scully's in the hospital Mm -hmm. and somebody tries to steal a vial of her blood uh Mulder chases him down into the laundry room and they have a fight and Mulder gets his ass kicked and oh. Mr X shows up and like pistol whips the guy do you know that yeah. one mm-hmm. I'm talking about
1: uh yep and the title is escaping me as well off the top of my head but I do but, know what you-
0: But there's an amazing shot in this where Mr X basically says I'll take care of this and mm-hmm. grabs the guy by the collar drags him around a corner and we are now just seeing shadows on the wall mm. and one of the the key things here and this was i was on a a show at the time uh a show called silk stockings mm-hmm. uh, which was more or less a police show <laughs> but we were constantly running up against what you were allowed to show on television yep what you could and couldn't show and there is actually all through the 90s uh there are very very or were very very firm rules about what you could do with firearms Sure. Like I, how you how yeah. you could point a firearm, how mm-hmm. you could do you know, um, and you could actually get your show pulled off the air, like if you pointed a firearm at some at a child. Yep. And child isn't even really defined. It's sort of like whatever the particular sensors thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, but one of the full big things was you cannot point a gun at somebody's head, which okay. is why you'd see a lot of this, or you'd get a lot of those shots where like. I've sort of got the gun pressed against your head,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, kind of to the side a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like the barrels pointing off in another direction, but you're obviously being threatened by it. So for the sex files episode, Mr. X drives, drags the guy around the corner. We're just seeing shadows and he just shoves the gun again, entirely in shadow, right up against the guy's forehead, pulls Mm -hmm. the trigger. bam, Bam. Flash guy drops to the ground. And I was in awe of this. I remember going into work the next day on set mm-hmm. and talking to people like, holy crap, did you see what they did? What they did and and how they got away with it by being smart.
1: They got away. And, I Every time I watched the episode, they got away with what I consider a staggering amount, given what you were talking about, the, the standards of the time. They just seemed yes. to be a level of gore and horror on the show that at the time you go wow they somebody let that on network television in the early to mid 90s which is just a surprising thing
0: well it's so clever because so often it is just very smart filmmaking storytelling that they they're not like how often in these things are we not actually seeing what we think we're seeing mm, good or point. or what we're, or what we're seeing is really very minor compared to what it implies mm-hmm. like uh i i still remember one of those reading parties with friends uh there's a shot that one episode ends and when Krychek mm-hmm. gets possessed by the black oil yes and he, and he walks out and he walks towards camera and you're just seeing all the stuff swirling in his eyes, mm-hmm. like in the whites of his eyes. And it is horrifying, but it's a very, really a special effects go. It's not gory. Right. It's not, you know, there's, there's it's not nothing wrong with It's not a pleasant it. image either though. So you're right. It is kind of a, right. Yeah. But, it, but it's not, but could you say, why isn't it a pleasant image?
1: is is that they've actually put it
0: all on on you the viewer why is this unpleasant Mm -hmm. you know we're not showing you gore we're not showing blood we're not showing we we know he's not dead Mm -hmm. you know it's just entirely your knowledge of what's going on that makes this a terrifying creepy scene yeah good point so and you just, you were talking about
1: viewing parties and I almost forgot about this. You mentioned a story about Rick Springfield that I just have to know. <laughs> oh
0: God, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so absolutely true story. Um, what happened was uh, I was day playing on a TV show called uh, High Tide, mm-hmm. which was, if anyone remembers it, I think it ran for a year, two years. Rick Springfield played a private detective who works out of a surf shop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um and just for whatever reason uh one of their regular guys wasn't going to be there i got a phone call hey could you come in and just work for the day be a, mm-hmm. essentially a temp worker on sure. the show and i was like sure and my friend alice uh, who i mentioned earlier of greg and alice yeah. uh, was also working on the show it was a friday night we were very upset because the show was running late we were filming in downtown san diego we are not gonna make it home in time to see the X Files.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And tonight was the uh season three premiere, which you know, season two had ended with Mulder in the underground boxcar. Yep. With the bodies thrown a firebomb so, in, yeah. big explosion. Yeah. So what's gonna happen? Oh my god, season three, what's gonna happen? So we're getting near the end of the day. We're in the last couple shots that they have to do. Alice and I are lamenting loudly about the fact that we're we're definitely not going to make it home. The show starts in like 10 minutes. Sure. And the locations manager says, okay, look, we're, we're actually filming uh, at the Sheridan downtown San Diego in their penthouse. Uh, this is, for anyone who's ever been, this is one of the big San Diego Comic-Con hotels. Mm-hmm. They had rented the penthouse for the day. They're like, every bedroom has a TV. and And for the time, you know, these monstrous like, 50 inch television. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the locations manager knew both of us from different things, and it's like, you guys don't screw around, don't do anything. You can just crash here and watch the show. And I'm like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, done. We will, we will, perfect. We'll, we will, we'll clean the room ourselves after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, finish filming for the day. Everything's gone. Alice and I had already like sort of staked out one of the I think the master bedroom and we go running in throw ourselves down and we're just like oh, both laying on the bed next to each other like x-files x-files, x-files. You know? yeah yeah and the the show is just starting um and oddly enough rick springfield wanders in, <laughs> wow. show, and, he just wanders okay. in and he looks at us and he's like what are you guys doing we're like, shh, shh, x-files x-files is coming on and he kind of looks at us for a minute and then he literally just climbs into the bed and flaps himself right down between us. <laughs> and and so then what ended up happening over the next half hour is it was very clear Rick had never seen the X Files before. Mm-hmm. That he had not and Alice and I I mentioned are part of this group of die hard X Files. Yeah, fans. yeah. So for the next half hour, basically something would happen, and Rick Springfield would be so who's this guy? Shut up. <laughs> and somebody like elbow him or smack him <laughs> on the arm or something like that and then he's like are they the- shut up <laughs> <laughs> who's the guy with the shut up <laughs> this oh my gosh that's surreal and 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 finally like at the half hour break he just got up <laughs> and he's like you guys are take this really seriously and we're like yes yes we do. <laughs> And he left to go home and Alice and I watched the last half hour of the show. (laughs)
1: That's funny. Oh my gosh. So
0: that is very, that is is my story of, of hanging out in a big penthouse bed with Rick Springfield
1: watching the X files. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, Peter, I want you to plug whatever you like to plug. You are a, a great follow on Twitter. I think people should follow you there. And also, um, I, I want people to be able to find your books. So if you have a preferred bookseller, I want you to plug your preferred bookseller and all that good stuff.
0: Okay. Well, the the big thing that I'm plugging is the broken room uh comes out in March, like uh well, I think six weeks from when we're recording this mm-hmm. right now. I'm not sure when you're gonna have it up, but I'm gonna have it up uh, fairly broken room. soon, yeah. Okay, so broken room, March first. Yay. Yeah. Um, uh a friend of mine actually just got to read it early and blurbed it as cosmic horror john wick Ooh! so
1: i was already that's, interested that's my plug and for that's that. even
0: more intriguing and, and we we went around pitching it as uh jack reacher meets stranger things okay so that's your that's your big plug for what the broken room is as far as like favorite booksellers honestly a I'm, a, I'm a big fan of small bookstores. So mm-hmm. go to your local small bookstore. If you pre-order it there, pre-ordering is always great for authors because it tells publishers there's an early interest. Yep. Um, pre-orders are great. Find your local bookstore. If you don't have a local bookstore you like, re- resort to online. Okay. Um honest.
1: I know bookshop.org, um, bookshop.org Anybody looking for to support a local bookseller, yep. go to bookshop.org or and plug in your indie Bound is another great one. Indie Bound, yep. Okay.
0: Well yep. oh. um and pass that your format, your chosen whatever works best for you. So mm-hmm. excellent. Perfect.
1: Well, I'm very glad that you uh came and did this. Thank you once again for for being Thank here. Thank you so much. For- me. Yeah. And I'm I was very glad to have you and Um, This is the official end of the show right here. So goodbye, everybody, from me and Peter. And I'm going to ask Peter one more question before he gets off the line. But it's only interesting to me who has read a book, has read a couple of his books and and has a a query for Peter. (laughs) So, all right. Yeah.